as a gymnastics guy, but I just, Chad does a little bit of gymnastics with our video every week to make sure that it plays well. So that's why when I make him recycle, it takes a little bit. But thank you, Chad, for what you do back there. Um, words are powerful. And so we've started a series on encouragement together. And um, I, I put this uh, group of emojis together last week uh, just as a reminder that life can be difficult. And I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't shy away from that truth, does it? That life can be very difficult. And so uh, we need to encourage one another, not just with the goal of making people happy who aren't happy or keeping people happy, but actually with the goal of sharing God's truth in a way that matters in other people's lives. And so that's the series that we're in the middle of. Three quick announcements before we get rolling this morning. Uh, first of all, many of you have been praying for Becky Belial. Uh, Becky's a part of our church family and um, got diagnosed. How long? Danny just stepped out. It had to have been a year ago now, nine months ago, um, with uh, cancer, ended up uh, leading all the way to um, within the last month or two, she had a bone marrow transplant. And um, so she has not been able to be with us for about nine months because of her compromised immune system. And um, we just got word this week that it appears that the bone marrow transplant has taken effect and that um, it has kind of overwhelmed her cancer cells and there's no evidence that her cancer cells are present at this time. So I know lots of you have been praying and so I wanted to give you that update um, and keep praying. And I know that they are just, if you know Becky at all, she's as social as they come and would love to be here. Um, but keep praying for Steve and Becky Belial. Uh, drop her an email or a phone call to encourage her. But I want you to give you that news, and I will keep praying along with them. Secondly, don't forget, uh, there's a wedding shower for Brittany Salazar this afternoon, 3.30. It's here, isn't it? It's wedding week this Friday. All right. Uh, so shower at 3.30 today uh, right here at the church if you would like to be a part of that. Um, even if it's a surprise to you, we'd love for you to jump in. There'll be plenty of refreshments. And uh, all you got to do anymore is just grab a gift card and show up, and they'll be happy, right? Gift cards are good. Yes, gift cards are wonderful. Um, but they would love for you to come uh, to that this afternoon. And then uh, one other thing that's not in the bulletin that I just want to put on your radar, uh, Paul Folks. Where's Paul? I saw him. There he is. Uh, Paul Folks has his ordination coming up uh, first week of April. So there will be on a Saturday kind of a, a committee and uh, Paul will answer questions and uh, defend what he believes. And then on Sunday, uh, Lord willing, this is the reason we do these things, right, is uh, ultimately that he'll be ordained uh, on Sunday. That's April 7th. Is that the right date for that? Yeah, he's, he should know. He's sweating it. Here it comes. Um, but just wanted to put that on your radar uh, to encourage you. I know that ordination is open. You're welcome to come to it and observe. It's on Saturday morning, I believe, the 6th. Uh, you will not be, it's not open mic. You won't be allowed to just ask him questions. Um, but it will be open season if you'd like to come and uh, see what an ordination is like. And uh, we hope that God will continue to raise up leaders here and that this won't be, uh, this will be the first of many. Um, but thankful for that on April the 7th. So I just want to put that on your radar along with the family meeting coming up in two Sundays. Encouragement. That's where we are uh, on this idea. And the idea is not that you're good at telling people that their homemade salsa tastes good or they got a nice haircut, right? Encouragement is a lot bigger than that as Christians. And it's this basic idea. God's word has changed and is changing me. And through me, God's word can change others too. So looking to be that voice, willing to speak. I know for some of you, speaking comes easier than others. 
but this is actually something that God has called us all to, to be an encouragement to each other. I want to start each of these uh, next few lessons with a quick case study. So take your Bibles, go to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. While you're turning there, I want to read to you Psalm 34, 17, and 18. Just remember God's heart. The idea of discouragement in the Old Testament is that idea of being crushed in spirit. So here's what Psalm 34 says. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Aren't you thankful that God is near to you when your spirit is crushed? And it's his intent that as, as his image bearers, as we follow him, we do the same thing. 1 Kings 19. I want to do a case study each week. Quick one. Sorry, I have to turn there. I was in Psalms. I'm coming. It's always a lot easier to find things when you're uh, on your own than when you're standing up in front of people. All of a sudden, you forget all the books of the Bible and what order they're in. It's great. A case study. And what I mean is this. What do I say? How have you ever felt that way? I felt that way last Sunday in a conversation. What should I say? It can be overwhelming, can't it? Here's the beauty. We have in God's word what God says to people in certain situations. And 1 Kings 19 is actually a story of someone in a very discouraged state. So discouraged, even though this person has seen God do great things, he's so discouraged that he's gone to a cave to hide. He just wants to be alone and away. You ever felt that way? Some of your introverts are like, uh-huh. I just want to go hide from it all. He's afraid. He's alone. He's withdrawn. What do you say to someone who's alone and afraid and withdrawn from everything? Just wants it, and he just wants it to be over. God has, God has come to him, the verses tell us in 1 Kings 19. And I just want to real quickly look at 1 Kings 19 uh, verses 13 through 18. You could study this chapter way more in depth than we're going to this morning, but just real quick. God says to him at the end of verse 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does God know the answer to that? Of course. And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I've done what you asked me to do. I've been trying hard. For the people of Israel, all these people that I'm working with, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Fear, alone, feeling like I've done everything I can do, and this is going to be my end. I know we feel that way sometimes with a two-year-old. I've done everything I could do, and he's forsaken you, God. I don't know what he's seen. And it's going to kill me. Now, Elijah's situation is, is much more serious, right? He genuinely fears for his life. He's genuinely terrified. So what does God say? And the Lord said to him, go. Notice he doesn't say, let's dissect this problem a little more. Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of some other place, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Danny, what's that word? 
Okay, that's good. No, it's good. I, I lost it too. Verse 17. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 other people in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He said, that's a lot of old names and old places. And What does God say to Elisha? If you had to sum it up, give me some things that God says. In the midst of his fear and aloneness and wanting to just quit and, and be done with it. Okay, you are not alone. Do people ever feel alone? Yes. But do you know that even as, as someone's friend coming, them to, coming to them to encourage them, you're actually telling them you're not alone? You may feel alone. You are not alone. That's important. Good. What else? I have plans for you. Right? There's actually something productive and meaningful in society that God has planned for Elisha to do. So let me tell you what that is. Right? That's what God does. What else does God do? One more thing. He tells him he has work for him to do. He tells him he's not alone. What's the third thing? It's in the middle. What does Elisha think is going to happen to him? Or could happen to him? His life has been threatened. He thinks he could die. What does God actually tell him? Well, it's a little hard to parse. But look at verse 17. The one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Who's Elisha afraid is going to be put to death? Himself. He's afraid he's going to die. What does God actually say to him? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he's telling him to pick a fight and start a war, but he's basically telling him, you're not going to die. You, the people who are in danger are not you. You think you're the one in danger. The people who are actually in danger are the ones who oppose me. So what is God saying to Elisha in this moment of being alone and afraid? One, that he has meaningful work for him to do. He's diverting uh, Elisha's attention from himself to what he's called him to do. When we are scared and alone and afraid and talking ourselves down the, the pit, we're, we, we do this spinning thing where we just keep thinking about ourselves more and more and more and more and more. And God actually takes Elisha's focus and redirects it to what God's called him to do. Secondly, he says, you are safe in my care. Is that true? That's true. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you, God says. And finally, you are not really alone. You may feel alone, right? We shouldn't dismiss the feelings of other people. But sometimes our feelings need to hear the truth, don't they? Right? My two-year-old thinks that when we tell him um, this morning, he got up for breakfast and decided that the best things to have for breakfast would be fruit snacks, cookies, there was something else. He went straight to the cabinet, and his waffles were in the toaster getting ready to go, but he was on a beeline for something else. And so I told him, no fruit snacks, no cookies. And I don't remember what the third one was. And then I shuttled him out of the, 
um, pantry while he cried as though his life was going to end. Right? And we look at little children, we're like, your life is not going to end. The truth is, I have provided breakfast for you, and it will be fine. But it's not. You know, sometimes as adults, we need someone to look at us and say, there's meaningful stuff for you to do. You're not going to die, and you're not alone. That, and that's not my idea of what to say. That's what God said to somebody who was afraid and alone and thought they were going to die. Okay? So when we think about encouraging each other, what we want to do is say, when God saw people in these situations, what did God do? And then say, okay, here I am. What can I say that would be an encouragement? So there's a quick case study. 1 Corinthians 19, what do I say? Okay, what do we learn that will help us in encouragement. Go to John chapter 5. This idea of speaking, encouraging words to others. We touched on this in the video at the beginning, but words are powerful. Can you think of some powerful words that you have said or that have been said to you or just that human beings say? They could be positive or negative, but what are some powerful words that people say? We don't need a mic. This will be quick and check and cut it out anyway. What are powerful words that people say? Paul? Be where you are. Okay. So somebody said that to you. and it, Did they say that to you? Is that, yeah. Where has God put you? Be fully present there. Do what God's called you to do. What else? Colleen? Okay. Just said, I've noticed something about you, and it's different. That could be bad different, or that could be good different. No. No, but you say that. I've seen some unique things about you, some unique ways God's made you. That's powerful. What do you say, Colleen? Yeah, I'm proud of you. That can be very powerful. Sometimes as dads, we don't say that to our children enough. We want them to attain to some standard, and, and we just need to say, hey, I'm really proud of what you just did there. I'm proud of who you are. Steve? Okay, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can see it affect him. Yeah. Words are powerful. I think we've missed the most obvious three. I love you. My parents threatened me about at what age I was allowed to say that and to whom. <laughs> right? Because it's powerful. Words are powerful. Positively and negatively. Look at, what, look at what Jesus says about his words. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There are no more powerful words in the universe than the words of Jesus, that if you believe in me, you have eternal life. I mean, Steve can say to a coworker, I'm impressed, and he'll encourage that coworker for a time, right? But it has a limited effect. Even as you say to your spouse, I love you, or you say to your kids, I'm proud of you, it has a limited effect, doesn't it? 
what Jesus is offering is something that has an eternal effect. And can you think about that? If you know Jesus as your Savior, the impact that his words have made on your life, the, the words that, that Jesus is the Savior, that he will forgive your sins, that he offers you eternal life. I've been struck as Danny's been teaching through Mark that, that when, he sends, when Jesus sends people back to share with, with the people in their town what he's done, they're often very imperfect words and they don't fully capture this idea of who Jesus is, do they? Like, he told me everything I know that Jesus did. And God uses those imperfect words to bring belief to people. I think far too often we're, we're overly worried about what we, what we say. Just tell them who Jesus is and what he's done for you. We used to go to Gideon banquets on occasion. Um, there's one in the city at some point. We, Colleen and I may even go. We used to go when we were in Colorado. It was fascinating to hear people share who had been left a Bible. And oftentimes it was in the military or in jail, one of those two places. And they would say, I just picked it up and I started reading. And, and those words and what I learned about Jesus, they changed my life. God's words are powerful. We have to believe that. My mom used to quote to me all the time, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Let another man praise you and not the words of your own mouth. Do you know those verses ring in my heart today? Tens of years later, God's words are powerful. Share them. Share what you know about Jesus. God does miraculous stuff with that, and he's done it in your life. And he'll do it in other people's lives. Now, it may take time. That's the nature of planting and watering and watching God work. But it's powerful. God's words are powerful. We know from James chapter 3 that the tongue is small, but it can do great effect. That's why we met Smokey the Bear. Because fire is a powerful thing, not because of James 3, but in general. And the Bible says our words are like that. They, they have this powerful effect. So that's important as we think about encouragement. But look at this. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You are not encouraging alone. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Can somebody take uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9? Can somebody else take uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20? Chad, I might take a mic for this. Can we get that other, that Kevin mic? That's the one that... Oh, now I'm asking them to do. I'm just giving it to you guys today, making their life hard. Thank you, Jessica. First Thessalonians chapter one for most of us. But can somebody take First Corinthians three five through nine? Okay, thanks, Gideon. And somebody else take Second Corinthians five eighteen through twenty. Gina, thanks. As we encourage, it's not just our words that are working. Oh, yes, he, there we go. Gideon. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will, rec will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. God's building. We are God's fellow workers. You have never had a better coworker. 
God is working as we share, as we encourage. Gina, 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, so God has this plan to save people and make them right with him. But he's chosen ambassadors and messengers, and those ambassadors and messengers are whom? They're us. God making his appeal through us. Now, I don't know about you, but in my humanity, I think God could have chosen better messengers. Yeah, he could have chosen angels, right? And sent them down and been like, you have Salt Lake City, Utah. You have, go tell all those people about me. But that's not how God planned it. He picked you and he picked me and he picked a maniac who had been, uh, who had been a believer for like hours and said, you go back and tell them about me. That's how God works. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Who has this? I have it. Oh. We all have it. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> I hope we all have it. Look at this. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel, so the gospel we shared, came to you not only in word, not just in our words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, with full force. Who's the force? The Holy Spirit is. So when we're talking to others and encouraging them and telling them about Jesus, we're just coming alongside someone who's lonely and afraid and sharing with them what God has said. It's not just our words. God is your coworker. Think about that. I've had some good coworkers and some bad coworkers. I've had some coworkers who made the, the work at the company better and some that made it worse and we were compensating for. God is your coworker. He is, your he is working alongside your words. The book that I'm kind of using to help guide in my study here on encouragement, I love how he says this because he talks about gardening. Now, this is a picture of a family gardening. But it's not really, is it? This is a staged picture of a family gardening. Or doing any household chore together. We don't have a garden, but we have a messy toy room that needs to be picked up. And the truth is that if I went in to pick up Timothy's room, I should fix this. If Colleen went in to pick up Timothy's room, it would happen quickly and effectively, and uh, it would be a well-done job of cleaning the room. But there's actually a reason that Colleen doesn't do all the picking up around the house, just most of it. Because there's valuable things that are learned and that happen as we do it together. The guy who wrote the book tells a fascinating story about gardening, but I figured it would be too long to read to you. Let me just give you a snippet. 
He says when his family does it, it is an activity fraught with risk, both to the baby lettuce and to the dogs underfoot. At least one adult is employed for the entire gardening period, keeping an eye on the most recent location of the pitchfork and helping recover small plants from under a layer of newly thrown mulch. Snails, as the oldest of us have now realized, are not potential pets, but we haven't yet had the heart to tell the two youngest. And so the location of their mollusk collection has also turned out to be one of those things that just has to be carefully monitored. Listen to this. But for all the slow, distracting, and sometimes dangerous things that happen in our garden, there is no doubt that all of us are really gardening. Every single one of the children's mistakes and a good number of mine, the author writes as well, will be overruled by grace. The good things we do really are good things. In the kindness and providence of God, the children and I are becoming better gardeners than when we first began. When we stand in the garden in the summer sunshine, we will be happy because we really did it together. And this is how it is with God and us, his fellow workers in his church. We really are helping him. That doesn't mean God needs something from us, but he's designed the work this way. Those who see our efforts may laugh at what we do. We ourselves may become frustrated and upset by mistakes and lack of competence. We may become dimly aware from time to time that, we th that what we thought was useful and helpful was unfortunately nothing of the sort. But, provided that we keep our focus on what God says in his word and continue to speak that same truth in love, the gospel we speak will continue to transform our lives and the lives of others. And that gospel work will result in a growth that bears fruit into eternity. That's what encouragement is. And sometimes we're not getting the plant in the ground just right. And sometimes we wish we had said different words. And sometimes we feel like the words that we've said aren't producing fruit the way that we would want them to. But God has called us, like the demoniac who's just been healed, to go and speak to our friends. And to speak to people who are crushed in spirit and alone and afraid. And not because you have a perfect catalog in your brain of all the best verses for this situation. But because God has said, you are my fellow worker. You are my ambassador. I want to speak my words through you. And maybe like me, I just want to have all the right answers. And I'm too proud to give the best Bible answer I have at the time when it's needed. Or I want to make sure that I've got all the verses outlined in my Bible before I tell anyone about Jesus and pray they don't ask any bad questions or any hard questions. God's word has changed you. Through you, he can use his word to change others. It could be your kids this week. It could be a coworker. It could be someone you just noticed this morning while you were around church seems a little crushed in their spirit. But God has called us all to it. So don't be afraid. There's great comfort in that, isn't there? That God is your fellow gardener. He's the perfect gardener. There's great comfort there. 
Lord, we pray that we would be a church that encourages one another. Lord, sometimes we're just really afraid to say anything because we know how powerful words can be. And some of us may need to take some time to get to know your words better. But would you give us faith and courage, boldness, to not turn away from hard situations or not turn away because things are uncertain. We don't know the results. But just to say something, to share your words, to keep on as the moms in our church do every day, just to tell their children about Jesus and to to teach them how to follow you. God, this is your work. And, and we just shake our heads that you have made us your ambassadors. But it's an amazing privilege. And we want to see your word work. Sometimes we just want someone else to be the speaker. But you've called us all to it. And we're just thankful for your spirit that gives power to your word, that reaches into hearts and changes lives in a way that none of us can do humanly. We're thankful for his work in us and in others. And we'll be faithful just to say what you have asked us to say. In Jesus' name, amen.